Hi, welcome to Talking in the Rain. I'm your host, Saira Unju, and today my guest is Vancouver-based playwright, actor, creator, Cheyenne Rouleau. Cheyenne and I talked about her newest work, Sunrise Betty's. It's a fictional play inspired by when drug-fueled gang wars controlled East Vancouver and corruption ran rampant in the local police force. She worked with consultants on this play, so we talked about what that experience was like. We got into misogyny in the arts, which inspired <laughs> uh, Sunrise Betty's. We talked about her writing process, hypervigilance, her next work, Fat Joke, which is a solo show, so naturally, we talked about the difficulty of writing about yourself as well. We had a blast recording this. I hope you enjoy listening to it. You can catch Sunrise Betty's from February 21st until March 10th here at the Russian Hall. And her solo show, Fat Joke, will be premiering in May at the Cult. Enjoy! Would you like to start with an introduction? Tell us about yourself, how long you've been an artist for. Have you always been interested in the arts? And yeah, give us just kind of a overview. <laughs> sure. I'm uh, my name is Cheyenne Rouleau. I'm from Burnaby, BC. I lived here my whole life, the suburb of Vancouver. Um, and I, yeah, I guess I've always, always been an artist. I know that's easy to say, but um, I've always been very interested in the arts. I decided to go into acting I mean I started acting at a, at a young age for a period of time I wanted to be a musician I really pursued that um, and then I found my way back into drama again in um, high school and then I went to Studio 58 I've been graduated from there now god 12 years which really ages me um <laughs> and there I found a, a passion for writing as well as uh performing so that's um upon graduating I really I started doing both pretty seriously and yeah and here I am now still still acting and writing and and doing all that kind of stuff not a good musician anymore though I really lost all that skill quickly Oh, but yeah, yeah. There, was a, there was a time I was totally convinced I'd be a guitarist in the band and now I'm like ooh, I forget every chord um so it's just funny how that how that like muscle memory just totally <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I could just lose it yeah yeah it's it's like very funny to me to think that I at one point was really sure I was gonna be <laughs> <laughs> well hey it's never too late <laughs> sure yeah maybe <laughs> maybe I'll teach, you... my, I'll teach my daughter uh, guitar or something, and then I'll relearn through her. That, that's the plan. That's a good way to do it, definitely. Do you do you have guitar or musical talents in your CVs and your special <laughs> abilities? Uh, oh, like on my on my CV? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I do say I can play guitar because I'm convinced that if like a role required it, that I'd be able to fake it enough. To be able to do it by the time I needed to do it you know what I mean like I'd be yeah. Able to be like, yeah yeah no I, I totally know what I'm doing um <laughs> yeah I think I still say that I can play the oboe on there and that was really like I could play the oboe in high school so there's absolutely no way I can play the oboe anymore <laughs> but you know you gotta you gotta flush out that section and make you look like a you know a multifaceted person right so you get the role first think about the rest later <laughs> Totally, totally, yeah. So, and currently you are working on Slash. You will be showcasing Sunrise Betty's, which mm -hmm. is your 
more, your most recent endeavor I'm assuming yeah um yeah would you like to tell us what Sunrise Betty's is about and what people can expect from it yeah uh Sunrise Betty's is been my little brainchild for six ish years now um it's play that it's a zoo productions is putting on in Vancouver um it's about a fictional all-female gang in East Van in 1972 that's inspired by real gangs that were around in that time. And it's a really, it's, it's dark, it's uh, suspenseful, it's got that real gangster movie quality to the play, but it's also funny and weird and kooky. And um, I really just wanted to write a play where I had a bunch of women on stage behaving badly. Uh, and this is what happened. <laughs> this show is what happened. So um, it's definitely not for the pain of heart. It's like violent and, and pretty in your face, but it's, it's super fun. I'm having just the best time. How did you get interested in the, like this topic specifically? Because it is, as you mentioned, inspired by like the real Vancouver history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it started with uh, me and my, my now husband um, sitting down watching movies one night. And he's like, have you seen The Departed? I'm like no, have you seen The Godfather? Have you seen the usual suspects? He's listening all these gangster movies. I'm like, no, no, they've never really piqued my interest. And uh, he's like, no, you gotta, you gotta watch these. So uh, we sat down and and started watching um, The Departed in particular. And I was like, oh, I like this genre. I really like this genre. And so I started sort of just binging all the the sort of classic gangster movies and. Um, I loved them. I loved the thrill of them. I loved the suspense and everything, but I couldn't help but notice that all the women that were in these movies were either like the like sad wives or they were sex workers or they or they just didn't exist. Like there 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 wasn't any women in these um films. So it was like, man, as an actor, I would love to play one of these roles. So I'm like, screw it, I'm gonna write my own. So that's where the idea sort of started. And then I happened upon a book called The Last Gang in Town by uh, Aaron Chapman, who is a local Vancouver historian. It's a true account about the Clark Park gang in the 70s versus the BPD. And it just opened my eyes up to this whole history I didn't really know anything about in my own city. And so from there, I pieced those two ideas together. And Sunrise Betty's is what happened, <laughs> is what birthed. Nice. I love that. And you also had Chapman as one of your consultants when yeah. you were yeah, writing this play. And you had three other consultants as well on top mm -hmm. of. Yeah. And so how was it working with consultants for something you were creating? How was that process like for you? It was intimidating as hell at first, to be honest. I mean, our first, our first uh, consultant that we consulted was Aaron Chapman and because I had just read his book I was like a little fangirl and I was like oh my god he's gonna rip my play to shreds he's gonna hate it and so you know you know the, all those like regular artist insecurities that you have um and I ended up chatting with a guy and he's just the coolest and was so open and and willing to like share his knowledge and then he's actually who hooked us up with two other consultants uh Kim Brucker and Danny Mouse Williamson who are Uh, original members of the Clark Park gang uh, through his you know through his research and book he became friends with them and he contacted them and was like yo this girl's writing this play would you want to talk and so we I got to talk to those guys and that was 
a trip that was so fun um they just had they were so open and willing to like you know work with me on this and and share the historical accuracies and what it was like in the gang so it brought like just a real richness to the script and to my experience and then our last consultant was John Gruinski, um, who's a retired BPD officer, and he actually helped form the uh, integrated gang unit in the 80s for the BPD. So he has a lot of like inner knowledge of what the gang gangs were like uh, in that time. I mean, a little bit later than, than the play that we're setting, but he had a lot of great insight. And the consultants have just been with us through this this whole journey, and they, they're going to continue to be with us throughout the run and, and get a chance to talk with the audience members after the play and and give more of their um, amazing, hilarious, wild selves to the project. And I'm so grateful. How long have you been working with the consultants for? Because you mentioned that this play overall has been in the works for like, what, six years, you said? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wild. wild. <laughs> time. Time is crazy. What is time? Yeah. Uh, the other day, I literally told somebody I was 27. And I was like, I'm 34. <laughs> My brain has not caught up. Um. Yeah, so they haven't been along through the whole process because originally with the script, it was more um, more of like a heist kind of script. It was, it was very different in the first couple drafts. Uh, but when I really started diving into the history, that was like I probably a couple years into the project. That's when I really wanted to start getting some more authenticity involved. And that's, that's where that happened. But it's a zoo and particularly Sebastian Archibald, who's the artistic director there. He's my dramaturge and he has been so open to the like various bizarre drafts and ideas and you know he's been he's been with me from the start on this and I'm so happy with where the projects ended up and so this is not the only thing you've written by far you actually have a, a multi-award winning play the after after party you've mm -hmm. written for tv as well um so I have a couple questions but the first one being for you specifically how does the process of writing a play or writing a script go? Where do you start from? Um, just kind of talk me through that process. I mean, it's different for every script that I'm doing because sometimes I start with um, an idea of the plot. Sometimes I start with an idea of characters. Like, for example, with the After After Party, um, we had me and my writing partner, Katie Hoffman, who wrote that script together, had previously done a 10 minute play called The After Party in which we had written these characters. And it was based off of kind of a true experience of a botched threesome we almost had. It was a thing. Uh, we were in college. Um, <laughs> but that started with like characters, which were like these exaggerated versions of ourselves. So when we went to write The After After Party, we, we knew we wanted to write a longer version with those characters. And we had, we basically started there. We started with like, what shit would these characters get up to you know what what situation could we put them in and that's how that started and whereas with something like sunrise studies the overall picture was sort of what I, I started with which is that there is a gang it's going to be something that occurs over one night it's like the genre was more what I started with um but for me I'm I'm definitely more of a character driven writer rather than a plot driven writer um that's why I gravitate towards more like episodic TV where, you know, you get to know the characters and then, you know, that's the heart of the show. And then whatever situation they're in is, you know, it's kind of secondary to who they are. And so that's really where I start. I like to imagine people. And with this show, with Sunrise, thinking about 
women in that time period um, in this situation, which is, you know, a, the town was harsh, you know, like Vancouver didn't used to be this like pretty, shiny, bright new city with all these developments. It was like a it was like a shitty port town, um, very, very working class. And there's a lot of, you know, working class, rough and tumble people. And so that's where I started there. And, you know, knowing the women in my life, my crazy aunties, you know, my family that had lived in Vancouver, that's where I started with like who these people could possibly be. And yeah, that's what, that's what's really important to me as a writer, I think. And I think that's informed by the fact that I'm an actor because I want every role that I write to be fun for an actor to play. I want to want to play that role, you know? Uh, and so that's really a starting point for me because I just think there's so many, I mean, you talk to artists all the time. You talk to actors all the time. There's so many just missed opportunities for women in in film and tv and you know even though we're getting better as a society with it like the roles just the roles just aren't there we just don't get to behave the way men get to behave in these roles we don't get to have the same amount of fun and the same amount of freedom and the same sort of scope of existence in the media that men get to have and so that's really always a starting point for me is um i guess uh contempt (laughs) for for my uh my profession and that's an easy way in for me yeah I mean the amount of plays I've read where I'm like oh I would love to play this role and every single one of them is a man absolutely absolutely yeah I mean I've seen a bunch of things for like the little mermaid and the only female roles were like Ariel and her sisters and then Scuttle and Flounder and Sebastian all these roles that are like these are animals. I'm not yeah. sure why you have assigned a gender to them. Like, why the fuck is Flounder, like, a gender-specific role? Like, all I know about Flounder is that he's chubby and nervous, and that's me. So, like, why am I not allowed to audition for this shit? Are you kidding me? And it's, 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 like, it's like, it's not even subtle misogyny anymore, And it, but it's so accepted, you know? Like, that's just the way our industry runs. I hate it. I fucking hate it. Yeah actually yes and you don't even realize how that's like implemented in your brain it's just there um for example when was this i think this was like two years ago actually studio 58 did the rocky horror uh show and i was interviewing one of the actors who was playing riffraff which is played by a guy in the movie mm-hmm. so i was like oh, like, you know, where did the idea of gender bending come from? And she was like, well, they're aliens, so there isn't really gender. And I'm like, that's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. did I not think of this? Yeah. Oh, fully, fully. You know, I, I, I mean, now we're just getting into conversations about general misogyny, but I think about it all the time with, um, I have a daughter, I have a five-month-old, six-month-old today. Oh, Jesus Christ. Six-month-old daughter. And um, I just, I find it funny that, like, even things like gender neutral clothing, like things that are considered gender neutral clothing are just masculine things. Like mm-hmm. the default is masculine. I'm like, what? Why? Like, why? Why are you imposing this at such an early age? Like, why is why is pink and frilly considered a girly thing? You know, but uh, anyway, I, 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 could go, I could go on. I could go on. Um, but it's so it's so prevalent in the arts and like, Everyone wants to think that like artists are so like open and free and like, you know, no, it, we are, the, we uphold this so much in our industry. The media is like half of the problem, yeah. at least, 
So, like, who are we? (laughs) No, I agree. That's a very valid thing to be mad about. (laughs) Yes, I get no, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. But at least with contemporary, I think, well, as you mentioned, it is getting better. It's still not there. But, you know, more contemporary work has more opportunities for non-men, which is what yes. we want. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it was fun casting the show because I got to see um, for, there's five ro- roles for women in the show and there's one man. And I was really proud to put out an audition posting that was like, LGBTQ+, plus, please, please audition. I don't care, you know, like there's no assigned ethnicities to any of these characters there's no I'm not going to put them into any box I want to see the actor that's that's for the part and we'll go from there and you know there's there's non-binary people in our show and and um people of different ethnic backgrounds and it's like yeah that I I I could never write a character thinking like I have to put this character into this box I just want to see the actor do the thing and find the spirit of the person and go from there you know yeah, I I love that so much because then you can also add on to the character or maybe adjust their story depending on the actor's experience um with well being themselves which uh, yeah, I like seeing that it's becoming more common now. I've seen it more in TV for sure where shows will like cast for example a Japanese American person for the role and they like adjust that character's story to be Japanese American and then yeah. they have like get they get a whole plot line about it which is amazing that's how you get representation exactly exactly like who am I as a white writer to sit here and and tell you you know what this person's background is I want to see the actor do it and then I want the actor to bring as much or as little of themselves as, as they want to the role you know and that's that's really important to me as a writer and I found particularly with this process with Sunrise it was really cool because we did so many workshops with actors and so we had a lot of different people reading different roles you know we had like a workshop a year for a while and there was these times that clicked for me as a writer if I had some kind of block around a character or something wasn't shining right sometimes an actor would come in for example Kelsey Kinnett and Wavy who's um, playing Kate in the show they're just the coolest person ever and they came in with their you know their natural voice and their natural cadence and their their attitude and I was like oh that's Kate and then I could write Kate after that because I I had a voice connected to it you know what I mean um and I think that's so special and now with the, the full show cast just doing rewrites on the fly I can I can hear my character's voice is better knowing who's playing them and it does nothing but open up a whole new world for me you know like it's super special so I find that like I think a lot of writers and 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 directors and maybe producers shoot themselves in the foot by having too much of an idea of what this character is outside of what's just written on on the paper before they cast it you know what I mean yeah yeah definitely and it makes a lot of sense I'm thinking have you seen La La Land yeah, yeah. You know how in La La Land, she, Emma Stone's character, um, gets hired as an actor, and they're like, we don't really have a script. We're just going to, you know, write it as we go, get to know you. When I first watched it, it made no sense to me. I'm like, how do you make a movie without a script? 
But hearing what you say, it makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you have an idea of, I, I mean, I know there's directors and writers that work this way, where you have a script, but you basically just tell your actors, okay, this is what's happening in the scene with your character. This is where I want you to start, and this is where I want you to end. Go. And, you know, they'll they'll make sure that they hit the the specific points that they need but they 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 write it loosely so that the people can make it more genuine and i was saying this to my actors the other day i was saying you know because we were doing some rewrites and and we were getting really nitty-gritty with like words and i was like listen the way i wrote this show is to sound like the way people actually talk because nothing pisses me off more than listening to a bunch of people say dialogue that doesn't sound like fucking people talking it drives me crazy uh i like naturalistic stuff i'm like so I don't care if you get it word perfect, throw in whatever, you know, little filler words you want, because I want to see the character thinking of what they're saying, because that's how people talk, you know, and I don't, I'm like, I, I have people talking over each other, because that's what happens in conversations, you know, all these little filler things, I'm like, find that for yourself, if there's something that I really specifically need you to say, then I, I will tell you, and I'll make sure that that's known, you know, I'll tell the director that this is really important that they say it this way. But the characters are yours now. You know the story. You know where things have to end up. Go. Be them. You know? Do you find it difficult at all to write a conversation that actually sounds like a conversation and not scripted? I mean, it, it, well, <laughs> yes yes, and no. I think, uh, I think it is a skill of mine um, that... I, I, I hear the conversation in my head and I, I it's like a, it's like music in my head but it's so hard when you're trying to do any kind of exposition like if you need backstory if you need like there's like certain plot things that you need to happen that is one of the trickiest things as a writer is like how do I make this not so like obvious and so expositional you know I need people to get these things across to the audience and sometimes that's really hard because it's like the characters already know the thing, you know, like sometimes you're having a scene with two people and they both know the same information. And so in real life, they wouldn't say that because they both know that they know the information, but the audience doesn't know the information. I need the audience to know the information. So how can I get the audience to know the information? And that's, you know, that, that's the, the art of writing for sure. And uh, definitely that's been the part of this process with the show it's been really difficult as a writer, but it's also super fun because you just find you just find new ways to do it and you find new ways to get things in there. And I love surprising my audience too. And 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 that's that's hard because I I write like the audience is really 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 smart because they usually are, and I usually hate scripts where they write it like the audience is really dumb. Um, so I have to I have to be smarter than them. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> shit, I gotta be smarter than, so it's, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work, but it's, I, I find it so fun and so rewarding when it works. Yeah, I find that with some uh stuff, the, the writers, you know, they want to surprise the audience, but they know that the audience is smart, so then they just feel like, make something that does not make sense, or it doesn't, you know, like, yeah follow in line with what was what's been happening and oh my god I hate that so much let me guess the plot twist because you did a good job setting it up yes yes <laughs> I'm I'm also I wonder you're probably the same as me I'm one of those people that like I can't know anything about a movie going in like I'll know like the title basic genre sure 
but I'm like, I don't want to know anything about the plot because my writer brain and my ADHD brain and whatever my anxiety trauma brain probably is trying to predict what's going to happen the whole time. And I want to be surprised. I, and I, it happens so rarely that I actually am surprised. So I have to like, you know, I remember my sister once begging me to watch this movie. I can't remember what movie it was. She's like, yeah, and then there's this amazing plot twist at the end. And I'm like, I don't want to watch it now. You ruined it. You ruined it just by saying that there was a surprise because now I won't be surprised because I know the surprise is coming. So I'm going to try and guess the fucking surprise. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's exactly. hard. Oh my God. I'm the exact same one. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. It's so funny because last year I was watching a show um, with my, do you know Better Call Saul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I have never seen Breaking Bad. I know nothing about it. And I am not a big drama person because I get really invested in the characters and any smallest thing that happens to them, I just like feel so bad. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I'm a more of a comedy girl. And my friend showed me a scene from Better Call Saul, that, which was funny. And I was like, oh, I like it. What show is this? And he's like, oh, you should watch it. And then so I started watching the first episode and I messaged him. I was like, well, I just watched the first episode. It wasn't really funny. It was kind of sad. Is it going to get funnier? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's going to get so much funnier. Let's watch it together. <laughs> so, he tricked me into watching six seasons of the show. <laughs> However, oh, yeah, it was wild. I did kind of, I would say, get him back by predicting every single plot line. <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and I think around the fifth season there was this one big episode he's like you're never gonna guess what happens and I guessed what happens he's like Sarah watching stuff with you isn't fun how do you know what's gonna happen I'm like I analyze I observe <laughs> yeah is that I mean this is personal but are you do you have do you have anxiety problems nothing diagnosed <laughs> nothing diagnosed <laughs> Uh, yeah I I have diagnosed anxiety problems and so like it's something that I see so much um just that like hyper vigilance of like I need to know what's happening before it happens so that I'm not surprised so that I don't have the emotional reaction you know what I mean like you're like I'm planning my emotional reaction because I yeah I'm watching The Wire right now I'm on the last season it's a fucking devastating show it's I don't know why I'm doing this to myself well I do it's the best written show on tv oh my god every every episode I'm like crying and I'm like looking at my husband I'm like we can't I can't keep doing this and he's like we got it I'm like I know we have to finish it but this is so devastating everything is so there's and there's like no humor like it's just the fucking bleakest shit anyway Oh no, I can't. I can't. It's hard, it's hard out there for us sensitive souls. I yeah, I literally teared up watching the new Wonka movie. So like, oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, I get it. I get it. I'm also like, I also have all those like post-pregnancy hormones, and like, I we started watching the Ryan when I was pregnant. I was like, that's oh a God. terrible idea. I I cry at everything. I literally cry. I was like putting baby clothes away before she was born, and, and I was like, this house is so small, and I like lost my fucking mind. So yeah, I get, I get it. I get it. It's wild oh out there for us. Oh my god! But yeah, <laughs> I love that you. <laughs> we understand each other. I appreciate that. So, talking more about writing, um, on top of Sunrise Betty's, you're also premiering a show this May called Fat Joke. 
yeah um yeah tell me about it what does that show entail <laughs> oh my god why do I do this to myself I don't know I um I'm supposed to be a mat league right now and I'm just premiering two shows fat joke is just me on stage it's like a one person uh storytelling kind of stand-up comedy style show uh that is basically recounting my funny anecdotes of being um, an actor who has a fat body and what that is like and how I sort of have had to move through the world and um, honestly where my sense of humor comes from and you know sort of analyzing the way that we we look at fat bodies and and the way that we we put our own um, people put their own perception of what they think a fat person is capable of or, or what they're good for you know just all that sort of fat phobic shit that goes on in our in our world as well as just some some there's some facts in there there's some you know there's some a little ted talky bits about about you know things like the bmi and the history behind that and just trying to you know get everybody on the same page about why our society might look at fat people the way we look at fat people and and what it's like to be seen through that lens and hopefully it's funny and um you know people open up something about you know their own perceptions in it and yeah I'm not there to you know change minds or anything but I am there to tell tell my story and and we'll see how people respond (laughs) no it's really important though because unless you're fat you don't really understand it it's such a a different experience um from straight-sized people that even like the smallest things like you know when you're in a room with a bunch of people you don't know you're thinking am I the fattest person in here it doesn't matter it shouldn't matter but you know for a fact that straight-sized people aren't thinking about that oh yeah there's like a there's a constant like we're saying about hypervigilance before there is a hypervigilance and like a constant you can't leave that part of your brain like it's 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 always there and there is you know trauma response built into that and there's social response built into that and um especially as someone who is a performer whose like whole job is for people to see me and have their eyes on me it can really change your trajectory um and it really writing this play I've opened up my own eyes how much it has influenced my development and um, some in some good ways and some, you know, dramatic ways, um, you know, in all sorts of ways. And there is definitely levity in the show. The show is a comedy. And I think it's essentially funny to be a fat actor. Essentially, that's my thesis. It's it's pretty funny. But I hope I hope that it, it makes people pause for a second and think about their own sort of, you know, preconceptions. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, everybody walks around with their own shit, you know, like, I'm a white person. So I you know, people of color have have that hypervigilance in it in a different way that I will never understand. And you know, um, I'm queer, but I'm in a, a straight presenting relationship. So the the hypervigilance of you know uh, being publicly gay is not something I really have to deal with, and that that affects the way you move through space. And you know, the disability and um, all sorts of stuff does that. So I hope that everybody can find a piece of this that you know even if they're in a straight-sized body that they can relate to it's been it's been a really interesting process it's uh it's the process is still ongoing the script is not done it's one of those pieces that I'm I'm really 
nervous and excited about. Bringing it back to you being character driven when you're writing. Um, so writing something like Fat Joke, where essentially you are the character you are writing for, how does how has that been different from writing for something like Sunrise Betty's? It's um, a lot more difficult. And you'd think it would be easier because like I'm a real person and I know all my experiences and, you know, so background done. Um, but it's so vulnerable and I've actually been struggling with it Um a lot because uh, I've had a pretty traumatic year um, with my my pregnancy was um, I was very very ill and the birth was really difficult and my daughter was in the hospital for two months and I was in the ICU like I had I, I almost died this year and um, so I have a really my relationship with my body is really fragile right now and um, so th- there takes so much vulnerability to be to like truth to write the truth about yourself and I've been really struggling with it to be honest um, in the wake of all these things happening and my lovely director producer Chelsea Haberlin um, has just been reminding me that like you'll never be able to write the full experience of who you are and you don't need to include everything because you've been on this planet for 34 years and you have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of stories so if you're nervous about saying anything you don't have to say those things you don't have to talk about those stories you can be wherever you need to be in the piece to do it right like I don't need to talk about all of my trauma. You know, I can talk about the pieces of trauma that I feel like are resolved or that I'm okay with sharing. Um, but it's hard as a writer because you want to be as honest and open as possible, but then you get yourself into this, you know, as I did, I got myself into this like sort of spiral uh, and bad place mentally trying to include all this stuff that wasn't quite healed for me. Um, so it's, it's a balance and it, it really does take having the right people on the project with you to not, push you in a direction you're not ready for and my experience with theater school um was not like that I was I was definitely and I think you know a lot of people who went to school at the same time I did were put into positions where they were which were not health healthy mentally for the sake of art for the sake of impressing someone for the sake of class for the sake of standing out whatever um and I just I I have to remind myself every time I work that that that's not a good thing to do um and we, sh- we shouldn't be doing that and so that's been that's been eye-opening for me because I, like I've you know with my previous work it's been a lot of it's all been characters that I can kind of hide behind or not hide behind but like you know I don't have to connect so closely to myself there's that distance there and this for this there isn't any distance and it's only me on stage and I have nowhere to hide and so I have to unlearn some of the toxic things I've, I was taught about the creative process um, so that I don't uh, hurt myself mentally. And it's, you know, it's a lot, but I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> Doing okay. That's, you are so convincing. <laughs> I'm also so tired. I have a six month old. I believe you. Yeah. Oh man, you must not be getting any sleep. I mean, we worked for a while. She was doing really good and sleeping through the night, and then, but we, I've been sick, and then my husband got sick, and now she's sick, and we're all sick, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hot tip for all you parents out there: if you're sick, don't take Nyquil at night because getting up to do those uh, bottle feeds um, at three in the morning is just so confusing when you're really high on Nyquil. 
everything is just so confusing. I woke up and I was like, what? I have a child? Like, I, I couldn't. <laughs> my brain was fucking <laughs> So don't do that. Don't do that. Just imagining you holding your baby like, whose child is this? <laughs> Who is this? Why, why am I here? What is happening? Hey, <laughs> noted. Yeah. yeah, adding anything that's going to make you more tired into your life, don't do it. That's terrible. Your brain can't handle it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How involved are you in the, um, like, with the rehearsal process for Sunrise Betty's? Uh, thankfully, I'm very involved, which I I love. Um, I have a really good working relationship with Jamie King, who's the director. I love them. They're the coolest person in the world. <laughs> they're super cool. And they, they were like in, in the process. I asked, I was like, I don't know. Like, do you want me in the room? And they're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Come in the room. Like, it's great because you know, they, they also understand that it's a new work. And so there are things that need to be fixed in the script as we go, or, you know, there are questions that people have, you know, there's nobody, you can't consult like a, a Shakespeare and website and be like, what the hell does this mean? Like, you know, I, I could just be there. Um, so that's great. But I do, I, like I said, I have a kid, so I'm, um, it's, it's a struggle with uh, child care. Frankie, my, my daughter actually came to rehearsal the other day. That was fun. Um, <laughs> she like fell asleep in the middle of this like really intense violent scene. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm allowed to be there as much as I want to be there. And that's, that's really great. And I think that just speaks to, um, what an amazing inclusive director Jamie is. And honestly, it's the zoo, the, the production company as a whole is just the most collaborative, like community based, um, rough and tumble, fun fucking people to work for. So it's been it's been really good. I feel very part of the project. That's amazing. And you, I'm assuming, having more flexibility with how much you well, they said you can be involved as much as you want. So you can also balance that with you know your six month old as well that's yeah, nice it, yeah there's no like pressure right there's no pressure for yeah. me to be there um but I'm la like I'm welcome to be there as much as I can so um it's really nice I mean Sebastian has kids and he knows and um it's it's a it's a it's just a, like I said lovely little community um and everyone's really really supportive so it's it's been good I, I've had experiences in the past where I've written things and then essentially just like handed them off and like went into the shadows and that's terrifying it's so scary so it's fun to be there and be part of the process with this I really I really that's the way I like to work yeah are you gonna be for fat joke um will you be directing yourself as well or are you um, working no. with a director <laughs> no I yeah no writing and acting is enough I'm not gonna direct myself um that would be insane um <laughs> For me, anyway. Uh, yeah, no. Chelsea Haberlin is going to be the director for that. So she's the uh, artistic director of New World Theater. She's also Sebastian Archibald's wife, who is a zoo. So my two plays are very connected right now. It's like a a, a married couple that you know uh, is just is hiring me so much. It's the best. So she's me directing, and um, she's been there through a process I've had with writing it and everything. And so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be crazy. <laughs> It's going to be, there's a quite a tight turnaround from now until when we open that show that's not written. So we'll see how it goes. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait to sleep afterwards. I'm going to sleep oh my so God. well. Yes. June is going to be so good for you. June is going to be my month. Be great. I'm doing absolutely nothing. 
<laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Everyone can just lose my phone number. For <laughs> June 1st, immediately. They're like, oh, we can contact Cheyenne. <laughs> she doesn't exist. No. She's, she's not, forget you know her. Yeah. Men in black, wipe your memory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, well, it's been lovely chatting with you. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about before we go? No, this is I, no, this has been great. Thank you awesome. so much for having me on. It's really fun. I feel like I'm just like chatting with a friend.